So last week we started this brand new series talking about the fact that God became one of us. In fact, we started last week by talking about the fact that we as believers, those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, believe some really crazy things, some things that are frankly unbelievable. And perhaps near the top of that list is this belief that we have that God became one of us, just like us, in a human flesh, in a human body. When you think about that, we, we hear it so much as believers that we just automatically go, oh yeah, yeah, that's true. And when John says it in John 1.14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, we just have heard that so much for so many of us that it just kind of washes over us and we lose the impact of it. But God Almighty, who had no limits and no boundaries, wrapped himself in our very fallible and very limiting human flesh. I was thinking about this earlier this morning because I, uh, I, I've been battling allergies for like the last, I don't know, 35 years. I don't know. You realize that allergy season in Middle Tennessee, for those of us that suffer from allergies, is like from January through the end of December, Right? And so I'm just sniffing and snorting and woke up this morning hacking and coughing and got here and Alan was out and, the, and how you doing? I'm a, and just did something there. I mean, my allergies were so bad when I went to see the, the college and career class, Brandon Frinsley asked me if I, he's, are you sick or are you just trying a new accent out? I was like, no, I'm not feeling well. I mean, I'm not feeling bad. I just have this stuff. And Jeff apparently hit something and, you know, fractured eight or nine ribs or something on he can't hardly breathe, and we just everywhere around you hear coughing and hacking, and I realized our bodies are frail, right? You just kind of look at it. They're, they're not, anybody here had problems in the last, you know, few weeks with your body there, just not doing what you wanted to do, not feeling great? And so you think that God, who had no limits, wrapped himself in our flesh. It's just an astounding thing. And the question that we're really asking for the next few weeks is simply this. Why in the world would he do that? Why in the world would God become one of us, live as one of us, among us? When you think about all the plans God could have used to save the world, there there are lots of opportunities for him to do something besides what he did. And yet he chose to come and live among us as one of us right here in our world. And we're going to get eventually to the Sunday school answer that he came to die for our sins, and that is absolutely correct and absolutely essential to this whole discussion. But I believe there are other reasons that he came. And last week, we talked about the first one of those reasons. It's simply this, that he came, Jesus came, God came in the flesh in order to communicate to us and demonstrate who God is, what he's like. In fact, if you weren't here last week, let me advise you, and I don't do this often, but I, I I think you need to go back and listen to last week's message because it is foundational for what we're doing this week and going forward. And you can do that on our website. You can talk to Diane and get a copy of it. But all of it's up on our website uh, in video form and you can watch it. But it's so important to kind of have as that foundation that part of the reason that God came, a major reason that God came in the flesh and the person of Jesus was to communicate and demonstrate what God is like. In fact, 
We said last week that if you want to know what God would say, you just listen to what Jesus says. If you want to know what God would do, you just watch what Jesus does. And that you never get closer to the Father than in the Son. And right before we left last week, I gave you some homework. And I am sure that all of you that were here completed your homework. Right? I'm not getting any response here. Somebody, maybe somebody, what, what was the homework? You, you don't have to complete it to tell me what it was. What was your homework? Read a gospel, any gospel. Pick a gospel, read it, and in the midst of it, try to figure, I put that on Twitter yesterday, something about, uh, you know, how's it going, and somebody sent me one back that said, was that this week? Oh, yeah, yeah, that was this week, all right? And so the point is that as you read the gospels, as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, anything you see Jesus doing, any way you see Jesus speaking, It is giving us a picture of who God is. And so here's what I thought we would do this week, since I know so many of you did that all week this week, that we would do an example of that. And so this is not really introducing a new reason. We're just going to follow a story in Scripture. And if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 9. If you don't, most of this is going to be on the screen. And this is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. I love this passage of Scripture. And I think that, that we miss this so many times when we read God's word that we don't see the humor that's there and I think this is one of the most humorous stories in scripture all right now not all of it's humorous but I think there are funny parts in it and it teaches us I think three important lessons about the father so here we go starting in verse one of chapter nine of the book of John and as he passed by That's Jesus, and he's walking by. And just to give you an idea, this is around the time of a major festival. It was a festival called uh, where they talked about the light that God provided and the light that God gives. And Jesus had declared in John chapter 8 that he was the light of the world and that he would illuminate all of the darkness and give us hope in the midst of this. And chapter 9, I'll go ahead and tell you, is an example of how God gives light through Jesus. So as he's passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Now, here's what they thought. We're going to leave it right there for a minute because I want you to understand this concept. They thought that if anything bad happened in your life, it was because you did something to deserve it happening in your life. And so the Jewish mindset was if this man was born blind, then somebody did something to make God mad, and God punished them by making this young man blind. Now, they ask, in fact, who sinned, this man or his parents? Now, let me ask you a quick question, all right? If this man, if this young man, we don't know how old he is. Most people think he was somewhere in the teenage years. If this teenager was born blind, Where would he have had to have sinned in order to have been his fault? Like, what's before birth? The womb, right? And so what the disciples are asking is, all right, did he do something so bad in the womb? Now, how? I have no idea what that would be. All right? I don't know if he kicked too hard. I don't know what that would be. What did he do in the womb that caused himself to be born Blind, or did his parents do something that was born blind? Now, you have to understand that in their society, if you had this kind of ailment, if you had this kind of sickness, you were ostracized, you were, you were cast out, you were thought of as, as somebody that was unworthy of anything that was happening. And so they look at this man and they say to him, what, what is going on? Now, we don't know 
from the scripture if they were talking about this while the guy was sitting there? We don't know. We don't know if they were openly having that conversation. In their day, it wouldn't have been odd. You know, in our day, we would have said, Jesus, come here. We got a question to ask you. Let's, let's get over here where he can't hear us. In their society, they were perfectly fine asking those kind of questions in front of them because those people didn't matter. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Now, even in our day, there is some of this kind of thinking that happens in our lives. You know, I... As a pastor, I oftentimes have a front row seat to people's pain. And oftentimes people will ask me, or you, even if you don't ask me, or you don't ask a friend, or you don't talk to a neighbor, that sometimes you feel this inside, that when something happens to you, you get sick, or something happens to you, or, or you, you have a financial issue, or, or something happens in a relationship, the first thing you think is, what did I do to deserve this? What, what did I do to make God mad? How did I end up like this? Did I, did I do something to make this happen? Now, uh, listen... The first thing I want to say is there are many times in our lives that, yes, we cause our own illness or problems. We we make terrible decisions. That's a good place to amen, right? That was a bad decision not to say amen, right? We make terrible decisions and we sometimes reap the consequences. And it is also true that in general, sickness, illness, ailments even exist because of sin in our lives and in the lives of our ancestors all the way back to Adam and Eve. Because without sin, this world is perfect and as sin entered the world, then illness and disease and all of that comes in. So in some ways, yes, sin is at the root cause. But what he's talking about here is a specific one-to-one. You were bad, so your son was born blind. You messed up in high school, and so God's going to make you pay for it when you're an adult. Well, if you hadn't have said what you said to that person, then this wouldn't have been happening. You see, as believers, we would adamantly say that we don't believe in this kind of new world concept of karma. But we often live as if we believe that whatever we send out to the universe, it's going to return back to us. That's not gospel. That's not Jesus. Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answers them and says, it was not this man sinned or his parents. And then he radically changes something they believed about God in a short sentence. He says, the reason this guy was born blind was that the works of God might be displayed in him. And the concept that he introduces us right there, that Jesus shows us, that teaches us something about the Father is this. That God often uses the pain in our lives for a purpose. God displays his power in our pain. That there is purpose in pain. It's not just a punishment. It's not just something that was given to you because of what you've done. That God will sometimes use pain and suffering in our lives and walk us through it and give glory to his name at the end of it. You know, as a pastor, um, I don't get a lot of emails, calls, phone calls in the office with people just telling me good stuff's happening. Right? Hey, man, just wanted you to know we had the best Thanksgiving we've ever had. We saw some reconciliation in our family. It was an awesome time. Played some board games. We had a great time. Man, I just want you to know my finances are completely in order. Just want you to share that with you. Hey, I just want to come in the office today and tell you that my life is going great. 
That's not what we get. Now, I'm, listen, I understand. I signed up for that. I'm glad people share issues. But here's what I want to say about that. It's not, that's not a complaint at all. What I have seen in the lives of people that I get those emails, found out so-and-so had cancer, got a you know, text last night, church member's mom passed away. So-and-so's in the hospital. Financially, we don't know how we're going to make it another month. Here's what I've discovered. That in those moments when believers walk through those issues, trusting and believing in Jesus, it is the greatest testimony we can ever give to the world. God can use our pain much stronger and better than he ever uses our successes. He says neither of those. It's that God would display his power. Verse 6 tells us, having said these things. So they ask the question, the man's born blind, the guy's just sitting there. He has not said a word. He has not asked Jesus for healing. He has not done anything. He's just sitting there. Having said these things, Jesus... Is that what it says? Yeah, almost, somebody said. In first service, I had a couple people dive under the pew when I did that, all right? I'm not coming at you. What does it say he did? He what? He spit. Now, most of us like to think of Jesus as calm, cool, collected, like, But what does it say he did? He spit where? On the ground. And what did he do? You cannot make mud with... Right? Is that correct? You can't make mud with... You've got to get deep, right? You've got to come from the recesses. The... Amen. Thank you. Never got an amen on hocking a loogie before, but there we go. Now, think about it. If... You don't think like this. I want you to think. You're the guy. You can't see anything. Right? And all of a sudden you're... Because what does it say he did? He took the mud that he made with his... Now, I know y'all think this is Jesus. Oh, it's the Holy Spirit of Jesus. If I spit in some mud and put it on your eyes, you are not going to be happy about that. Right? Y'all look at me like, oh, that'd be okay. No, you would not. So he spits, he makes the mud ball, he puts it on his eyes. And then Jesus says, hey, you you might want to go wash that off. And the guy's like, that is cool, dude. Uh, Yes, that is... Exactly what I'm thinking. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he goes and he means sense. So he went and he washed and he came back. See, now here's what's interesting about this. From all we know in the scripture, we have this moment. Jesus is walking by. The disciples say, who made this boy more blind? Was it him or his, his parents? Oh, it's neither of them. <laughs> go wash. And then Jesus leaves. The guy never asked for it. He never wanted it. Then we understand. I mean, he obviously thought that'd be a good thing. He never expected it. Jesus does that. He comes back seeing. Now, in their day and time, if a miracle happens, you had to get it verified because we don't want unverified miracles running around. And so they said that his friends are like, who is this guy? And it goes on to tell us in, in John chapter nine, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, hey, I think that's the guy that was blind. And some said, yeah, that's him. And others said, now, this is crazy. No, that's not him. He looks like him. He talks like him, but he can see. That can't be him. And the guy keeps going, I'm the man. It's me. 
It's me. Can you imagine like talking to your friends? It's me. Hey, Johnny Decker, it's Lyle. I'm, I'm right here. It's me, all right? Chris, it's me. You know, I don't think it's you. No, it's me. And they say, well, you've got to go to the Pharisees. They say, how are your eyes open? He said, this man called Jesus, made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said, where is he? He said, I don't know. I didn't see him. You don't think about those things. It's there, right? I don't know where he is. And they brought him to the Pharisees. The man who had formerly been blind. Don't you love that phrase, by the way? Formerly been blind. And it was the Sabbath day. Now, if you were watching this on the movie screen, the music would suddenly change. It was the Sabbath. You know why it changes? Because what did you do on the Sabbath? Nothing. Now, why didn't you do anything on the Sabbath? What was the reason behind not doing anything on the Sabbath? The law. Somebody said, what in the law? What does the law say? Y'all remember the, y'all remember the Big Ten, right? Ten Commandments. What is, what is the Ten Commandments? What does it say about the Sabbath? Honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy, right? Which means don't do anything. Well, at least that's what they determined that the 400 years after it was written, they started all these laws. The thousands of years that came, they asserted these laws. And they said, if it's the Sabbath, the only way you honor it and keep it holy is you don't do anything. You sit on your couch and you watch football. So some of you observe it today. Amen. I got an amen there. They said it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Well, that immediately meant that it wasn't good. So the Pharisees again asked him how he'd received sight. And he said, he put mud on my eyes and I washed. Don't you think this guy by this time is like, how many times do I have to tell you the story? He put mud on my eyes, I washed, and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can you say that? They, they start to look at this and they go, who is this? Who is this God? And some of the Pharisees are like, wait, wait a minute. He cannot be from God. And here's the reason. We have a box. And we have God completely contained in this box. We know everything we need to know about God. We know everything we need to know about the Sabbath. And according to us, if you do anything on the Sabbath, you are not of God. So he does not fit into our box. He does not fit into our mold. He does not fit where we expect him to fit. So he cannot be from God. He has to be a sinner. He doesn't fit our mold. He doesn't, he doesn't operate like we think he ought to operate. He doesn't do what we think he ought to do. I mean, we have had rabbis for centuries tell us how to observe the Sabbath. And he is breaking those rules. He can't be from God. And here's the reason that God came is to demonstrate and to communicate who he is. The part he wanted to understand is, you can't put me in a box. Remember last week, if you were here, we talked about ways that we try to go outside of Jesus to figure out who God is and we use religious traditions. And this is a perfect example. John chapter 9 is a perfect example of a group of people that completely missed God because they were too concerned about their religious tradition. He doesn't fit in our box. Now, some of them were like, no, no, no. If he's a sinner, he couldn't do this. Have you heard what he's doing? Have you seen what he's doing? He couldn't do it. And there was division among them and apparently some of them thought well we can ask the guy he's here and so they say to him what, what do you think he opened your eyes now i just want you to know i think that there was lots of um kind of still in their voice there, there was lots of skepticism there like 
what do you think? I mean, you're the one that had your eyes opened, apparently. And he says, I think he's a prophet. Verse 18 says, they still didn't believe him. They didn't think he had been born blind, had been received his sight. They, they called his parents and they said, we've got to verify this is who he says it is. And they got those parents and they got the boy in front and they said, okay, let me ask you a question. Is this your boy who was born blind and now he sees? I love the parents' response because they are as noncommittal as you can be just about. We know that this is our son, that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's old enough. Let him take the responsibility. Right? Amen. There's lots of parents like, let him out of the house. It's time. Go. He's of age. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. And it tells us in the rest of this why they did that. They feared the Jews. Because the Pharisees had already decided Jesus didn't fit into their box. And if anybody confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, he was the Christ, they were going to be put out of the synagogue. Now, That means a lot more than just you can't come to church anymore. In their day and time to be put out of the synagogue meant that you were no longer part of the community. You could no longer come to to not only the religious festivals, but you were businesses you couldn't shop at. You were considered ceremonially unclean, so there were people you couldn't hang out with. There were things you could not touch. People could not go where you were going. It was to be cast out of the community. It was almost like a death sentence to a family. And this is a young man. Now think about this for a minute. These are parents that have been cast out because somebody thinks that they've done something wrong to make their son born blind their son now sees they have this glimmer of hope that maybe the synagogue is going to accept us maybe the community is going to help us god has reconciled this we have been forgiven of this our son can now see and then they're saying we're not giving that up so his parents say ask him he's of age verse 24 so for the second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him This is the second time the Pharisees have. This is the third or fourth time he's been questioned about this. And they say to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Now hold it there for a second. He says, we want you to say exactly what we already know. Give the proper respect to God. Admit that this Jesus is a sinner. Aren't you going to do that today? Aren't you here? Aren't you ready to make that commitment before us this morning? Are you ready to say that this Jesus is not who he says he is? Give glory to God and let it be known. And he says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. And he gives one of the greatest answers that has ever been given in the history of the world. He says, one thing I do know. I was blind. And I see. And they said to him, well, what did he do to your eyes? How did he open them? And I love his response. He was like, I've told you already what he did. And you would not listen. But then in his mind, he thinks, oh, wait, 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 I got it. I got it. They love the story. They want to hear it again. This is like that TV show that they can't stop watching. This is like that movie, like my girls that want to watch Frozen 412 times a week. Let it go. They want to hear it again. In fact, he says to him, do you want to hear it again? You want to hear it? Oh, I got it. Do you want to become his disciples too? Uh-oh. They says in the next verse that they reviled him. And they say, you are his disciple. He is a nobody. He is a sinner. He is not from God. We follow Moses. 
let's just talk for just a second. They didn't really follow Moses. They followed the guys that interpreted Moses that came after Moses. And so the law that Jesus was coming to fulfill, they did not recognize because they had made their own box for what they wanted to do with it. We know that God has spoken to Moses. We know God spoke to Moses. There's no doubt about that. And if we'd been there, we'd been like everybody else. We wouldn't have realized that God was speaking to Moses. We were speaking to Moses because he was going outside the box. But we know now that God spoke to Moses. But this man, we don't know where he comes from. And the guy says, well, that's odd. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Don't you love the boldness this guy's getting all of a sudden? He realizes it's going off the tracks. He might as well drive it as fast as he can. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper for God, does his will, God listens to him. Then how in the world could he do what he did? In fact, the way he says it is this. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And what do you expect to happen? Here the Pharisees look at him and go, oh, you're right. We were wrong all along. Jesus is the Messiah. We should have recognized something. Is that what happened? Mm -mm. Look what it says. They look at him and says, you were born in utter sin. Do you hear the contempt in their voice? And you think you can teach us? And they cast him out. Here's what Jesus shows us in healing this man. And then the dialogue that comes afterwards is that God extends mercy beyond our theology now there are a couple of important words in there and that is our what we have come up with what we have determined what we have set aside god extends mercy beyond that in fact if you ever get to the place that you think that god's mercy can no longer extend to a person you have moved past theology that is right these guys had this box and they thought God could never save a guy like that. And somebody that was of God would never heal on the Sabbath. And he would never touch a blind man like that. It couldn't happen that way because God doesn't do that. And what we see in Jesus is that God extends mercy beyond our theology. In fact, Jesus talked about this all the time. And he, he told even his followers, he said, listen, just giving you some advice about prayer. I want you to pray for your enemies. And some of you are like, I don't even pray for my friends. I barely pray for my family, and especially when we get in trouble maybe, but praying for my enemies, you know why you pray for your enemies? It's because it reminds you again and again that even your enemy, even that person that is actively working against you in this world, is not beyond the measure of God's mercy and God's grace. And that you have never come in contact with anybody on the face of the earth that God loves any more or any less than he loves you. And as believers, we have to be real careful about how we talk about and think about people that are unlike us, that are different than us, that are enemies of ours, that are a, a, a different nationality, a different ethnicity, a, a different nation, a, a different socioeconomic place, that we somehow think that because we have figured out more stuff, we are better than they are. Scripture teaches us that everyone who has ever lived on the face of this earth is worthy of God's mercy and grace, and God extends his love to them just as he does to us you have never come in contact with a person in your life that if they were to ask jesus for forgiveness based on his sacrifice on the cross that jesus would deny them even the people that you consider to be as far away from god as possible are never out of the reach of the mercy of god that my friends is good news 
That's when we pray for our enemies. We live in a country that really has taken this um, course of action where we want to divide everybody on issues and we want to put those divided people on the opposite sides of a table and let them scream at each other. You have to be real careful when you take sides on an issue and you start talking about the people on the other side of the table and you are talking specifically about the people and who they are and how they live and what you're stereotyping and what you're saying about them and what they are because you get real close if you're not careful to describing them in terms that makes them sound as if they are out of the reach of the mercy of God. These Pharisees never thought that Jesus was the Messiah because he did things for people that they would never extend mercy to. And because they were so locked into their theology, they missed an opportunity to sit at the feet of God himself. God extends mercy beyond our theology. That says there that they got kicked out. That, that means they were more than likely, he and his family were expelled from the synagogue. They were kicked out of the synagogue. has been threatened. And the story ends on a really positive note that I love. Because not only do we see from this passage that God sometimes brings glory through our pain and also that God extends his mercy beyond our theology, we also see this, that God is personally involved with individuals. He takes a personal interest in individual people look what it says this is the next verse that it says here and it says jesus heard that they had cast him out and so somebody comes to jesus goes hey man the guy that you just uh spit on the ground you put it in his eyes and he washed and you see yeah that guy he went before the pharisees they kicked him out of the synagogue and i love this and having found him now let me ask you a quick question what do you have to do before you find something you have to look for it my children often do not understand that concept any other children like that? Any you have children like that? Like, hey, I, I, hey, mom, dad, I lost my shoes. Um, well, have you looked for them? Oh, where have you looked? Oh, I thought you might just know. Right? Anybody, does that sound familiar? Anybody, right? Some of you are like, children, what are you talking about? That's my husband, right? You, have you looked for it? Hey, I, I, I've lost it. I can't find it anywhere. Well, where have you looked? Um, nowhere. Here's the point. In order to find him, Jesus had to seek him. This is what I love. Jesus took time out of his day to personally find this guy. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. You can look through the scripture. Jesus had the power to do whatever he wanted. In fact, there's a guy that comes to him that's a leader of the Roman army and he says, hey, I've got this servant and he's sick and if you could heal him, that'd be great. Jesus says, all right, let's go. Where are we going? And the guy says, hey, listen, I'd love for you to come to my house. But here's the thing. I command people, they do what I say. Your command is of a greater authority than mine. If you say the word, he'll be healed. We have a long distance healing from Jesus. Now, here's the thing that that tells us. Jesus didn't have to touch anybody to heal him. He could have spoken and it would have happened. In fact, if you read the book of Mark, some of you might want to do that this coming week since you didn't last week, right? If you read the book of Mark, over and over it talks about the crowd, the crowd, the crowd. And, and there's people that are just, that are sick and tired and they will come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And it would have been so easy for Jesus to stand in front of the hundreds or the thousands that had come for healing and just say, you're healed. But what we see in scripture is Jesus doing it one by one by one. 
And he would have never done that unless he wanted us to know that God cared about you as an individual. That he knows your name. That he knows your situation. And that he cares about you. Having found him, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, who is he? Basically, you open my eyes, you tell me what to believe, and I'm there. And Jesus says to him, the one you're talking to now, you've seen him, it is me. I'm speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. It's an amazing story. I mean, we covered a lot of ground today, a whole chapter of Scripture, but it's an amazing story of Jesus going outside the bounds of what religious tradition taught about God to show that God isn't punishing people necessarily with sin, but he can use our pain through his power for his glory. That God's mercy extends beyond what we often think it ought to extend to and that God cares individually about you. And when that guy understood all of that, his healing, the interrogation, you think about the day this blind young man had. The only response he has is to believe and worship. Now listen, I, I, don't, know, I don't know where you are. I, I don't know if you've got people in your life that you've written off in this Christmas season. Part of what God intends to do in your life is to say don't write them off. I don't know if maybe you're one of those people that wonders if God cares about you, if God is interested in you. And today you've been reminded that God individually loves you. He knows your problems. He knows your issues. He knows where you are and he cares about you. I don't know if you're going through a difficult time and you don't need to ask the Lord anymore. Why, why, why? You need to ask the Lord, how are you going to use this through your power for your glory? We're going to have a couple of moments. We're going to have some time to respond. Jeff and Anne-Marie are going to come back up in just a moment. I'm going to pray and they're going to lead us in some worship. And we're going to respond just as this man did. We're going to worship. It's a little different than what we normally do because we're not just singing a few verses of one song and leaving. We're going to worship together. Because the only response to the God who loves us beyond anything we can imagine, to a God who cares about us individually and that cares enough to know our problems and want to use them for His glory, the only response to that is to believe and worship. I'm going to be down front. If you want to respond, if God lays something on your heart you need to talk about, you need to pray about, you need to come talk to me about, then I'm going to ask you to do that. But more than anything, I want you to worship. Let's pray together.